Welcome everyone to our first episode of Step by Step. With some skips along the way. In the year 2023, we hope everyone is surviving the winter blues, which really isn't very wintry at all in the state of Maryland as of right now. But we were just convincing, or well, convincing, we were just coercing and um, conversating about, clearly, like I don't have words today, um, about March. We're, we're now in March. And boy, does March feel like a long month in teacher worlds. Um, we have a guest with us today. Um, guest, can you please reveal yourself? Hello, I'm Jay Rahim. I'm a first year teacher in Baltimore County, fresh out of school, and I'm doing the thing. Doing the thing. And Jay is a proud, well, I don't know if he's proud, but I'm proud uh, on behalf of them uh, of being a Towson alum. And I had the distinct honor of of teaching Jay. Um, and so when we left off, we talked about traffic jams. And in March is definitely a traffic jam month uh, for students and teachers alike. And, you know, thinking about burnout, um, we oftentimes think about the teachers that have been in the grind and doing it for a really long time. But we don't really always talk about experiences and perspectives of the first year teachers. And I think it's really important when we think about um, this post-pandemic, but still pandemic world and what are what are first year teachers experiencing? So, Jay, how has your first year been? <laughs> it has been the roller coaster of roller coasters. Um, you find yourself on the other side of the glass. Like I'm, I'm learning now what it's like to be the teacher that was planning for this class and planning for that class, but then dealing with behaviors in that class. And, oh, I have this kid that I'm really looking forward to seeing in this class, but also in this class, I have this and that and that and that. It's like going all over the place. Um, I teach middle school, and when they say that middle school is like herding cats, they they sure mean it. Um, they really do. It's like cats with expensive instruments that they play really well, and it's just as scary as that sounds. Um, I I don't know if we could have taken like some kind of methods course on like what to do when there's a student running around, like holding a trumpet in the back of the room. And this student is insistent on playing the snare drum, but then you also have to get them to sit down and then rehearse for 45 minutes. But maybe that would have been great preparation for all of this, this whole thing. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, for the listeners out there, Gabe and I are dying laughing right now. It's just over the real, uh, your, the imagery is just a spot on. <laughs> I mean, musicians, that's what we do. Imagery is, that's that's our thing, right? Got to make them see it before they can play it. <laughs> um. Yes. Now, you, you say herding cats. Um, and I, I <laughs> Gabe, how, how are your, how are your little cats doing? <laughs> They are scratching. They are hissing. And they are not paying attention to a thing. <laughs> they really aren't. No one's no one paying attention. Uh, parents. No one paying attention, and it's not the teacher's fault. I promise you, and it's not even it's some of us on the students. I can't even blame. I can't even place full blame on the students. Like this, just it's a traffic jam. Um, it absolutely is. Um, so Jay, I love your your metaphors, and I love how we've just um basically compared 
students to cats. Um, it's very, very much is. And so you work at two schools. And so that's, that's very much a thing. I think for a lot of first year teachers is, is working in two schools and what, how has that experience been? Um, I know that in the music world, it's ideal to build your program up at one school and have this place that you are attached to. And this is your mark on the world. This is your little corner. Um, but it's been a really interesting time getting to see two different experiences. One of the schools that I'm at is a title one school. Um, so it's, a, it's all the things that kids would bring into that situation. But at the end of the day, I'm there to make music with them. They're there to share their music with me. We learn, we have fun. That's what we're there to do. Um, but then at the other school, there's a lot more community involvement because we can we can afford to do that in the community, both like figuratively and literally. Um, but the support is from from the students. Their their perspectives are what I go off of the most. And in this post, like still pandemic world, their needs are the same. Like their, their needs are completely the same. There's no, I never show up to one school and deal with a situation that I didn't just deal with at my other school. I'm split between A days and B days. So it's kind of like a bit of a, a refresh. So like one day I'll be at one school and the next day I'm at a different school. But between my schools, it's like working with the same population. Like demographically, it's not the same, but their needs, like culturally, I feel like kids are all in the same place right now because they're they're grasping at straws because they didn't have the same structure that I did when I was growing up. So it's a lot more difficult for them to see what it's supposed to be like to be in eighth grade. So when you see an eighth grader rough roughhousing with a friend, it's like, now, why are you doing that? They go, I don't know. Like in this case, maybe they're not being smart about it. Maybe they just don't really know why that's not okay because they didn't, they didn't have those full three years in school. Um, and it's interesting approaching it from a musical angle because eighth graders would be in a very different space right now than where they actually are. Like eighth graders are typically, I would say, reading around like a grade level two in, in their performance level. But my, some of my students or some of the ensembles that I've seen are reading around like comfortably a grade level 1.5, some kids still performing at like that grade level one area. So like pushing them for festival stuff, which is, you want to talk about traffic jams? That's, that's, that's one. Um, pushing them <laughs> through the, the festival grind, getting that music worked up. It's been a struggle for a lot of them. Some kids have risen to the occasion, but some kids are just not work, uh, not used to that level of performance yet. So working them up to that point and showing them that music isn't just this thing that you can pick up and have fun. Like it's a thing, it's a craft. You have to work on it with serious, serious intention. And when you don't, it shows in your performance consistently. And that kind of consistency that they haven't had over the past couple of years is what they're really struggling with a lot. Between both schools, I would say, but all, all together, um, kids are kids. That's what I've learned. My kids are just going to be kids, no matter where you are. Um, and in the Title I community, their experience may be very different than if they had the community that my other school has, but they are still to their very core, like people who need to be nurtured and cared for and loved. Now, if we want to talk about my experiences with things happening between two different schedules, oh, we can we can talk about that. Um, one school has the 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 block model of ninety minute class periods, and the other school has the uh, fifty minute class periods. And it is like you want to talk about getting your wires crossed. Like I'm, I'm still this late in the school year checking the schedule at one school to see like when this class is over. And I'm like, okay, I actually have this much time or the bell is about to ring in five minutes. And I'm like, we don't have time for this. Oh wait, I need to get this assessment in. So let's, let's do that really quick. It's, it's one heck of a time. I can tell you learning that, that management piece. That's, that's tough. That is hard. There needs to be a, a, 
a class just on learning and managing bell schedules. <laughs> oh yeah. And and Jay, I was going to ask you what are the what are some of the benefits if you can even think of any? What are some some of the benefits of having the block schedule and having an and having 90 minute classes? Any benefits from that? I think specifically at the the Title I school where they have the the block period it helps a lot, especially in music, because you have a hard time with those kids that maybe didn't have the best time in fifth grade or didn't really latch on to everything. You get more time to work on those like music enrichment things. Like uh, we're, we're getting away from writing in notes, but we can do some note identification or we can do a lot of time with sight reading and rhythms. Like my, my sixth graders at that school, they are elite rhythm like they they're incredible at reading because we have that time every class we start with a sight reading and we like within the first because they're playing so well then the first couple months of school we got into like dotted quarter notes and dotted uh half notes and stuff like that obviously we aren't doing like syncopated stuff off the bat but the fact that we could do that because we have that time and introduce that concept and then reintroduce it later back later on when we have more time to actually refine it um, I think that in the, the 50 minute schedule, you, you just kind of teach down and if they get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. But in the 90 minute period, you can really see and work on what skills kids are struggling with. And you can refine that a lot more in that time period. It's a great time. Yeah, we're, um, I, it was a shift for me going to you know 30 and 40 minute classes to high school where we're at 81 minute blocks and there's only four periods and I was like oh there's only four classes in a day and I'm used to like teaching eight this is amazing and then I was like oh 80 minutes what am I doing for 80 minutes and how do I how do I sustain attention? How do I expect them to sustain attention? Um, you're right. And there's there's so much that you can do. But at the same time, there's a lot of pressure because mentally you put that pressure on yourself to go, well, if I, if I have that amount of time, that means I should get everything accomplished without even like really thinking about like even, you know, upper middle school, high school, they're not they're not ready for 80 minutes that's still their, their brains. That's still a lot for them, you know, without built in time. And then you think about they're going to, um, you know, band and orchestra classes where they're sitting down after they've been sitting down. I mean, and thankfully they have a different way of expressing, but it, it definitely is, you know, the block schedule. <laughs> we just shake our head of like, Oy vey. Um, I'm going to ask both of you, what is it? I Well, I want to hear from Jay first. Um, but what is it like being the, what I would call like the non-dominant gender um, in a school setting, you know, where students typically think of a teacher and they think of you know, a female or someone that looks female. And so what is that, um, you know, what is that like just from both of your perspectives? Um, and I think that there needs to be a lot more of both of you um, in the field in, in general, because most teachers, tip, you know, they, frankly, they look like me, <laughs> you know, they look like the white, just kind of, I'm gonna say plain Jane, but like the the stereotypical short white blonde. <laughs> you're not plain, Ashley. Though, just you're not. I I, I appreciate that. We're gonna start there, but Jay, you start. I, I I appreciate that. It's it's March. It's the it's the March traffic jam where everything is just you know we we have this negative connotation about ourselves in, in March. <laughs> We're all playing the negativity in our brains. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny because I was just talking to a student today about uh, his internal monologue because he's he's a seventh grader stepping up to the eighth grade 
for festival stuff. He's like, can I just not do it? I don't think I'm ready for this. I'm not good enough at this and blah, 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 this, blah, blah. And I was like, let's talk for a second about what this, this self-talk is doing. I think from, from what I'm hearing, a lot of the things that you're saying about yourself, I think you're going to have a hard time celebrating yourself in the future when you're doing things that are worth celebrating because you aren't giving yourself grace with something. Like, this music is hard. It's harder than anything you've ever seen before. Like, give yourself some grace. So you are not playing, actually, at all. Absolutely not. Okay, anyways, moving past my negative <laughs> self-talk. <laughs> um, uh, it is, it's definitely been a valuable perspective to have. Um, going into the school year, I was, I had a, a, an interesting time like deciding whether or not I should like have that conversation with my students about my identity up front. And like in retrospect, I should have because that's a valuable, valuable perspective that I could have given them from the beginning. Um, but since then, we've had conversations and the day that we had the conversations about like, okay, it's no longer mister it's teacher moving into moving into that space and then we can start having conversations about pronouns and what what all that means um but it was it was kind of weird to be like this person because for me like growing up in baltimore like the student population looked like me like that that was never never really in doubt but the first time i saw a band director that looked like me was in high school um and that was my junior year. So I almost made it all the way through K through 12 without seeing somebody that looked like me doing this thing that I've been doing my whole life. Um, and especially in this field, like to have a teacher that looks like you or at least has the same skin complexion as you in an area that you may not see them, it does a lot. Like I have some students at my Title I school that have a really really tough time in a lot of classes but because i mean like i'm also pretty tall so because of my stature when we have these conversations it's like hey i'm we're, we're having these conversations and it's not just like oh you know i'm saying this i may not understand where you're coming from it's like no i get where you're coming from like growing up i was the kid that did not like school i kind of became a teacher because i didn't enjoy school school was not enjoyable for me um and i thought that if i had somebody that would be patient with me and understand where I was coming from, it would be instrumental. It, it would have been very instrumental in my growth as a person and a lot of my development and having somebody to advocate for you that looks like you would have done a lot. So when I have these kids that think they can run the game because they, they run the game on their other teachers because they may not get it from a cultural standpoint, when they're like, oh, can I go to the bathroom? And I'm like, no, you've been to the bathroom every single class period since the beginning of the school year. No, you're not going to keep going to the bathroom. And they go, it's an emergency. And it's like, come talk to me in the hallway. Let's, let's speak real. Like, I, I know what you're doing. I know exactly what you're doing. Don't play with me. And they're like, oh, that's, that's the one that gets them. When you say don't play with me, they're like, oh, okay, 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 I see it. So then when you can meet them at that level and they see that you're not, placating to their experience like you have lived their experience when we talk about our experiences like this is you may have somebody that doesn't look like you that may have been through something similar but when that person looks like you and they tell you that's your experience that's not something that you really doubt for a second so it's building that community and building that trust in the classroom just off of the initial interaction that we have together um and that's been a really powerful thing especially for some of those kids that don't really see themselves in their classrooms. Like at, at my Title I school, that's a very common thing. At my, my other school, it's not so common because there's, it's, the staff is a little bit more diverse, um, but it is, it's powerful. Like even the kids that are in your class, like acting a mess, they're like, oh yeah, that's, that's teacher Raheem. That's one of my favorite teachers right there. And it's like, really? Cause you, you torture me, but like, I'm glad that you, that you see that that you, you care for me because our experiences, like I, I value that, but like maybe a little bit less disruptive in my class. That would be, that would be nice. Um, how about you, Gabriel? How has, how has your experience been, especially at the elementary level? I'm going to start off with something that's going to make you all laugh out loud. So as Ashley has said, 
a lot of students are used to are used to being taught by um, primarily women, especially younger grades. So my pre-Kers and my kindergartners, oh, the beginnings, it's always Miss Gray. I don't bat an eye. It's it's okay. I don't even I don't correct them. I don't. I don't see the point. Some one of the one of their one of the aides tried to when I told them that no. It's okay. In fact, I have a picture that was drawn by a then third grader, now fourth grader. It was, I wish I had it with me to show you all, but it's very detailed. She got it from, so y'all see my hair is braided now, but of course when it's not, it's up there. So got the hair, got the facial hair, got the fact that I wear polos most of the time. Where my phone hangs out of my pocket when I use it for instruction. And she wrote, Mrs. M.R.S. Gray. Oh. oh, bless her. I didn't say anything. You At that point, you can't. Yeah. Did not. In yeah. fact, it hangs behind my desk. Yes. And when some and when somebody and when somebody points it out, I tell them, and did you see me cross it out? Do you see it? Do you see it hanging there prominently? So it's both so it's it's both hilarious, but like Jay said, it's also very powerful. It's also very powerful in that way. I mean, event, eventually, eventually they get older, and then they, you know, it's it, it it becomes Mister and all that stuff. But again, it is powerful because yes, that is that is proof of just how very little of us, of male educators, there are. And being a person of color, that's even more. I was very, I consider myself very lucky um, growing up in the in the D.C. area, D.M.V. as we call it. Um, in fact, all of my, until second grade, all of my classroom teachers were black women and my kindergarten music. That's the earliest music teacher I know of was kindergarten. Um, he was a black male. So it wasn't until second grade that I had a white teacher and he was a man. That's that's awesome. So that's yeah, awesome. It's it's quite it's quite interesting how that worked out. So anyway, I I realize a lot of people don't quite have that same experience, and yeah. it shows often with it shows often with how some people might view school and they don't see themselves in their education. And so it's very important that we are represented. I agree 100%. And also, I also see a lot of the unfairness sometimes between the male teachers and the female teachers, because it should not take me having to, it should, it should not take me to get a class under control when you have a whole educator right here who you should be respecting. So sometimes while I'm happy to help, it can always it can sometimes feel uncomfortable that because of my stature and my gender and yes and yes my race too that I'm looked at as someone that is that could be the one that could be this the, that can be the problem solver of all discipline issues because I struggle too. And I'm and and Jay, I'm sure you can even you can even relate to that as well. If I'm right, you know, yes, we are a part of the answer, but we also need support. Yeah, I can I can agree. Um, there have been a couple times that I've been like passing through a classroom, whether to set up my space or to grab something from a classroom or ask something from a teacher, and 
these kids are just like like running over this teacher. But as soon as I step in the classroom and I shoot a look at a kid, that kid is in their seat now. And it's it's this weird thing of acknowledging the privilege that comes with like having tall stature or having like a booming voice that really carries very well. Um, but also not using it in a way that undermines the authority of the other adult. And that's like, it's a, it's a tough balance to strike because sometimes like people will ask for help because like I have, I have vast, I, it's my first year, but I have vast classroom management experience in my life. I worked at summer camps a lot um, because that was, that was my deal when I was growing up. So now I have classes which is a story for for later on. I have classes of 36 students and 46 in the same day. Um, but what? because of those classroom, yeah, 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 yeah. 36 and then two classes later, I have 32. And then the class after 32, I have 46. All in the same classroom. Yeah. Oh, oh that so, hurts. You want to talk about learning how to manage a classroom? Like it was, it was like that. I didn't have, I didn't have time to to slip up or have have woes about it. Like it's, it was hard, hard and fast. Like we're we're gonna learn respect and we're gonna respect each other because that's that's what we have to do. Like there's forty six of you. There's no way I can yell or or do anything over over all of you. Like we have to we have to learn that boundary, learn that respect. Um, and bringing that to situations where I can, like when we're transitioning from lunch at one of my schools, we have to pick up our students from lunch. So when the three other teachers are grabbing their students and I'm walking behind them, just trying to help out with stragglers where I can, because kids are like, you know, trying to skip or do whatever they do. And I see them and they just walked away from their teacher. And I'm like, hey, why are you going that way? Let's go this way. Like, ah, oh, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to go with her, blah, blah, this, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, but. I promise you it's not worth the effort of getting in trouble over something, doing something that you're not supposed to be doing. Like, let's, let's go where we're going. It's like, it's weird because it's effective, but I don't want to be the person that they start to see as the adult that they need to listen to, as opposed to their instructor. And it's, it's a tough balance to strike because like you can be too helpful, um, but you can also like shy away from it and not be an asset to people that may need your help. So it's, it's a tough balance. It, yes, <laughs> just just a big, a big yes. Um, my my new role this year has me in such a weird position of being the one that's called for student support a lot, and so I I see the other side of things. Um, because a lot of times I'm called in, um, not necessarily in replace of admin, but when it's when it's a disciplinary thing that is just a part of, you know, the student needs. Um, and it's not a significant thing. It, it's a very dicey situation because I come in and I can solve the problem and fix it. But then I'm also potentially undermining what that teacher is doing because a lot of times I have to return that student. And so then I'm like, ah, I'm on the other side because when I send a student out, I need them to go for an extended period of time, not anything against that student, but it's like, it just, the, the community was not jiving and everyone needed just a break. And so I'm like, Oh, I'm now that person that could potentially be undermining that. Um, and I think to, to it's it's just it's a weird position to be in, and I think it's just it's gray, it's very gray area. Um, but to speak to both what to to what you both were saying, um, I actually have a colleague who he's he's black, he's male, and he's he's very tall, um, and we have predominantly black males in our school building, and so. While we do have a few teachers like that, um, you know, he's also a special educator. So he kind of becomes the, like the, the token dad, if you call it, of like providing additional assistance. And I, I actually, I asked him one time, I was like, 
how is that experience for you? Because if I'm uncomfortable from the outside, <laughs> you know, I, I need to check in because I don't know what the, you know, is that something you actively want? And like, that has become the thing. Cause that's completely different than it being placed on you. And, you know, he was very nice about it of, I don't mind it. He's very easygoing. He goes, but it is a, because I don't know what to do in a lot of those things because I want to help the kids. And in the end, it's about helping the students. But at the same time, it's a weird place to be in with colleagues as well. Because the last, the worst thing I think to be a colleague is to have that one that can kind of fix everything, but like completely cuts the legs out from under you. Right. Like that's the last thing you want, even from an admin is just like have someone just cut the legs. I'm like, what are you trying? Like, I'm trying here, but then you just like you just gut everything. And so I, it's an interesting perspective. Um, and I don't think that any college course <laughs> talks about things like that at all. I mean, I don't know what course that would be in. I mean, other than potentially internship, but internships really just where you're placed, who you get with. Like these are things that you don't know until you're there. Um, yeah. So I I, I appreciate um, bo both perspectives. Um, and I, I am glad that there are, there are people like you both out there. I, my first actual, my first music teacher was a, a, a black male favorite teacher he's the the re sole reason I, that I got into music I think just because his energy was so infectious and it was like oh like this is fun this is fun this makes sense so this is what I'm going to do um and that was I remember I, I remember my grandmother saying and it was like the most racist uncomfortable conversation I could have ever had was oh they can be teachers and I was like yep yep but uh, it's know better and do better um she didn't know better and had to be given education on that's not okay to say <laughs> that's not okay. Like that, that's not the world. Um, but yes, and he's fantastic. Um, and I think it makes a difference for the students. Like they need people in the buildings that are, even if they aren't coming from the same place of living, that there's like, there's just something I mean, like people are very sensory oriented people, you know, so there's that visual, like we automatically judge people by their physicality, good or bad. Like that's a whole other conversation. Um, but like just having some, someone that visually they know that they feel that they can connect to, I think is a, a huge thing before they then, you know, even have a conversation. Um, we actually have, um, in, in high school right now, we're, we're having a problem with females being comfortable with male teachers in general. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult. And like, I'm having to have conversations that I never thought I would have to have just with the, they're not feeling comfortable right now because they're not with a like gender and I want them to have male teachers. I don't want to cut the legs out from under you, but at the same time, how you interact makes a huge difference. Um, Jay, I want to ask you a question. Um, Cause I actually, I had a really tough day at school today and I was trying to support students and I finally like had to check my myself. And I was just like, listen, I am having a crappy day. <laughs> like, these are my struggles. And, you know, of course, you never want to impose your problems on another student. But I think being real with them, even from an elementary level of, you know, like from the little kid's standpoint of like, how 
frustrated. <laughs> you know, just letting them see what your struggles are. It's like in an immediate, they see you as a real person and not as a, oh, someone's trying to tell you. Um, were you honest with them about your um, struggle is not the right word, uh, but just your indecision to let them know about your pronouns? Absolutely. Um, it was, I remember one of my sixth grade classes, the one of 46 students, there was a kid in there who he's been, he's been something different um, to the school since he's been there. But when I, when I opened the floor for questions, cause that was, I think we did like a, that day we did like a 10 minute, like rhythm assignment or something. And then we had the rest of like the 35 minutes to talk about it. And this kid was like, well, why didn't you tell us? Um, and I was like, that is the first time I've gotten that question. And I had to sit and think about it for a second. And I was like, you know, honestly, it was from a place of fear. Like I was scared. Um, when we're in the world that we live in right now, where we're so, things are so much more accepted and people are so much more welcoming, but at the same time, so many communities are very, very unsafe and more unsafe than they have been because of people's knowledge of their existence. Um, it was it was a scary thing to think about, especially at the beginning of the school year when all of it was it was a bad time. Um, but when he when he asked me, I was like, I was scared. Like, think about the things that you guys go through on a day to day in middle school and think about where I'm coming from with my knowledge of that. Like, I know what you guys go through. I know what you guys say to each other. So for me, it was coming from a place of fear. And going forward, I will not have that same level of fear when it comes to supporting myself and advocating for myself. Because since then, like there have been students that have felt a lot more safe to have these conversations with me and being in community and building space like that with me. And it has been a powerful thing. And that's something I've learned in this year. Like you can't put yourself in a box just to, to hide the things that may not be as palatable about yourself, like especially in middle school. Um, I was talking to a colleague last year during my internship where I was teaching at the school and we were discussing why I was starting to feel, I, I initially wanted to teach elementary school, um, but I started to feel a liking and like this draw towards middle school in the last month or so of my internship. And I remember I said, like in, in elementary school, there's this part of you that comes out and it's this character and it's the support that the kids love and they they really feel that. In the high school, it's more so of yourself. Um, it's still it's still kind of that role, but it's it's not the same as middle school. Like I, I said word for word. In middle school, you have to be so vulnerable, it hurts. Like you have to, Ooh, you have to say that bear. again for those in the back. Like wow. you, yes. you have to, you have to bear your soul in the middle school classroom. Like, and that was one of those moments where I, I got to the point in the school year. I was like, I don't know if I can keep just going about this as if this isn't like the case for me. I don't know if I can just like let this be the normal. Cause I was like, no, I'll stick it out to next year. We'll hard reset. But I was like, no, that's not fair to them. It's not fair to me. So it was one of those moments where I was like vulnerability painful vulnerability we had to have those conversations and it's been it's been a lot of progress and that's gonna it's gonna help open the door to have more conversations later on about all of these things and supporting people because like it's middle school they say anything to each other um but if it's somebody that they care about that they know that these things that they're saying might be affecting then it it closes the door for that kind of ignorant speech and it, it helps it helps a lot it yes yeah um and thank I you oh, oh, i'm sorry ashley no i just wanted to say thank you for sharing that you're up <laughs> i still remember when i was finishing up my student teaching and one of my incredible education professors we were sitting having coffee and just talking <clears throat> and she asked me would i ever be out to my students, would I would I would I ever ever be out to my students? I told them. Well, I told her at the time. I I said I don't know if I'm elementary. I don't. I really don't think I could 
depending on the great, like the younger ones, definitely not. Definitely not. But even with the older ones, I, it's like Jay said, it's, it's tricky because it's different than what it was when we were in, when we were in high school, it's elementary and middle. It's so much different. It's way more accepting. There's so many people finding themselves and embracing themselves younger and not so much older because they don't feel, they don't feel shame in it anymore, which is a beautiful thing to see, but there are still some that are trying to hold, trying to, keep progress from progressing. And of course, of course, when you're a new teacher, you want to protect your job because when you're new, you're the most vulnerable they can get rid of if they feel, if they feel the need to. So of course there's that, but again, it's so much different now. I think every year now, at least fifth grade, they know. I, I don't always confirm nor deny, but they know. And if I've ever, and if I've ever, and if I've ever confirmed anything, it was never right then and there. It would sometimes just be kind of quiet. Even just last year, my Apple watch, I had my, I had my rainbow bands on. I mean, I, I don't tell them what it means. I mean, a rainbow can just be a rainbow. And I had both the positive and the negative. I had a, third grade student at the time who clearly knew what it was and was disgusted by it. Didn't address it. Just kept moving. Didn't address it. And then I had a fifth grader who kind of asked without asking. And as they were leaving, I just got her attention and I just nodded. And they smiled and kept walking. It's a it's a powerful thing. Like when you my my goal, like you like in, in teaching, I've learned in my first year that if you try to catch every single thing um, and try to interrupt every single conversation that isn't appropriate or, or or disrupt every ideal that they were raised with that doesn't necessarily suit like being a, a contributing member to this evolving and growing society that we're in, like you're going to, you're going to go crazy. If you try to catch everything, it's going to drive you crazy. Um, but something that I committed to and that I will continue to commit to is getting them away from using these things that are so easy to say as insults that aren't insults, like things that they constantly say as insults. And I'm like, okay, are you saying that? Because this is what you think about that person. Um, because if that's what you think about that person, then you're discriminating against discriminating against them. But if something that somebody's doing is making you uncomfortable, then you need to say that what they're doing is making you uncomfortable. Like that's how we can get into having these courageous conversations and giving them that kind of vocabulary to say, oh, what so-and-so did made me uncomfortable, as opposed to saying what so-and-so did was this like I'm, I don't I don't think I have to say it because that's something yeah um, so and so said is this like that's that's its whole other issue and if we if we have to address that that'll be like a whole class classes worth of of conversations about why we can't say the things that we'd like to say um, but giving them the tools to have these conversations is so so important and like like Gabriel was saying like starting early. And like, even if it's just something subtle, because then that's like planting seeds. Like that's what teaching is, you're planting seeds. When you plant a seed that a student goes, you know, I had this interaction with this teacher and I think this teacher identified this way. Now I'm with this other teacher and my school has like a GSA. Maybe that doesn't fit for me, but I wanna go have these conversations. Like I wanna go, I wanna go see, I wanna learn. I wanna, I wanna experience these things. Like see, what is this like for me? Um, and not saying that everybody is going to find themselves in school and, and doing all this stuff, but planting a seed to have a conversation is all we can do. Like 
saying, hey, what you just said wasn't okay, and here's why it wasn't okay, maybe try saying this next time. That leads to so many other, so many other great opportunities for that student and so many other areas of growth that they didn't know that they might need to grow in later on in life. And that's that's always been my philosophy. Like when I was in, when I was at that daycare, I was around like 14. I was there from like 14 to 17. So I was like a kid, but I was still in charge of the other kids. And the age range of that daycare was like, when I was 14, it was from ages three to 13 or 12 or something like that. And it was usually around like 60 something over the summer. So it was, it was a lot of them. It was a whole bunch. Um, and I realized, I was like, if I try to make everything I say, this like quote that keeps them up at night, it's going to be like, I'm just going to sound like, like a fortune cookie or something, just saying these things back to back to back. But if I can have one meaningful conversation with the person that needs to have a meaningful conversation and say something that is going to be impactful at some point in their lives, like that's what, that's what I want to do. Like, I don't want to be the person that's like, wow, you know, Jay just has so many, so many great things like, like to say, so wise, so this, like if I, if I try to be that to every student, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. Um, but if there's a kid that needs a lot of support and I just say to them, Hey, I don't know how many people believe in you, but I believe in you. And they know that they have one person in that building that believes in them for good or for bad and wants them to do better. Like that is, that's a powerful thing. And that's something that they will keep with them for a long time. I don't know how long they'll keep it with them. I don't know how much it's going to impact them, but that's a seed that you plant. That's what, I think that's what teaching is about, planting seeds. Jay, you're poetic. I know this. <laughs> wow. See, and, and, and isn't it, it's, I'm, it's so amazing it's so amazing what you can learn from any educator who is in it and is passionate and in it for the right reasons it's at that point where experience is just a number at that point it's just it's just a number jay snaps yes. to yeah everything okay. you've shared today. jay needs their own podcast their own talk show um i think yeah this is the longest the this is the longest, this is the longest because do you see like we're both just like please talk more please <laughs> um but it, man yes i i think the the um the experience number literally is just a number and um Jay, you you know what uh, what I think about you, and if if you ever need reminding, please send me a message, and I am happy to remind you at any day of the week. Uh, but not only are you wise beyond the quote unquote years, and I know this is part of just who you are, which makes you amazing. Um, but I think it really just goes to show how there kind of almost is this stigma around first-year teachers there's so much that they need to learn and yes but no at the same time I, I think it just comes down to I, I there's still a lot I need to learn and I've been in it for over 10 years but e like I mean each day there's still something new and I would hate well, sometimes I, I don't like being looked at as someone, you know, who would be more on the veteran side of things because I've been longer. But I'm like, I could learn more from Jay than really someone could learn from me in a lot of ways just because of the completely different perspective, the mentality of teaching. Um, and, and I think that there just needs to be a lot more conversations around respecting first year teachers as they are. <laughs> um, and really the biggest thing that if you want to call them an experience is just, just the, they haven't had to problem solve yet in the same way they've had to problem solve in navigating school and student teaching and all of those things. And they've had to problem solve their own work experiences 
they just haven't had what we designate as like this experience. And I'm like, no, it's just, it's a different set of problems to solve. You know, figuring out be- bell schedules. It's a different set of problems to solve. That doesn't make them inexperienced. <laughs> it's different. Yeah. It, it's been really interesting. I have um, a consulting teacher with the county that I'm in. And it's like, I, I do love the feedback when I was in my internship, I was consistently like one time for something like you catch me with something one time never happens again. Um, obviously like outside of the safety net that is an internship, like it's been a lot more learning experiences. So it's been great to have somebody that is just like more, well, less pressure with observations, but like still observations to get that feedback. Um, and today I was being observed by her and something was happening in a rehearsal. And I was like, okay, I don't, I don't know what to do. So I just had her, I was like, Hey, can you help me out real quick? And she came up and just did this thing. And I was like, I have never thought of it that way. And that's what, that's what this thing is like learning tools to put in your tool bag. So like, as a pro, as opposed to saying, okay, I want you to think of this articulation this way, think of it this way. And that changed everything. Like it was, it was uh, the difference between accents and marcato articulations. And that's, that's tough pedagogically regardless. Um, But to get them, what I was saying, it was lining up, but not clicking. And this rehearsal, it was good rehearsal. Like it wasn't anything bad, nothing catastrophic. Like nobody was like completely checked out, but I was like, hey, can you help me out really quick? And she came up and she was like, I want you to think of it this way. And did like three like really quick exercises and then rehearsed the piece. And I was like, like, that's that's what it is. And like, if if every observation went that way, I think it would be it would be wonderful. Um, but it's it really just is an experience like you have to learn the things that you do, especially in music. Like, there's no way no amount of schooling unless you you go through for like for all of this time and have in class experience and classes that you're taking along alongside it like no amount of classes that you can take can teach you the experience of learning like and implementing those things in rehearsal and seeing how it works with your kids like that's what it's been um and i've learned a lot like i at the beginning of the school year i struggled a lot with concert prep um because fresh out of college, you have those ears that are like, okay, everything has to be perfect. Everything needs to be perfect. It's not perfect. It's not good. So with some ensembles that could have played two or three pieces, we played one. And with with the, the classes that played one, cl- uh, one piece, it was good. It was good. Um, but if I had given them the opportunity to play a second piece, like we could have probably learned more and also refined it a bit better. And it would have been more conducive to rehearsals at the time. But now my concerts are in two months because we're in March now, Um, two months. And the kids were like, when are we gonna start working on? And I was like, we're working on technique right now. We're good, we're good. They're like, but we have two months. The concerts are in two months. And I was like, we got it. You're better, I'm better, we're gonna be fine. So it's, it's the experience. Like the first time through, I was so stressed. I was like, how am I gonna get these pieces up? Oh, this section, this measure, this one thing right there, it's so, it's so messed up. I need this to be better and spend like a whole rehearsal on it. Um, but now like I, I acknowledge it for what it is. Like we, you can't say to your students that you don't want them to strive. Like you want them to, to go towards the best performance possible. Yeah, that's what music is. But you can't say, don't get down on yourself if it's not perfect. Because if you're in rehearsal and you're working towards perfection, like that's, it's kind of a, a cognitive disconnect right there like you have to practice what you preach and that's what it's been a lot of learning for me this year we're just everyone listening like we're just head nodding it's just like it, it really is it gave you you had like he's just the words like it's just po it's it's a poem just every every thought that comes out it, it is definitely a poem um you, you're absolutely correct i and I think, you know, all three of us kind of share the same philosophy. Um, And how powerful is it for your students to have you um, in 
to have you grow, I mean, we're all growing, but to have you grow and to have such honest and open conversations. And I, I hope that is where education is going (laughs) because I, I really think that that's what the students need. The students don't need someone teaching them a textbook. Do they need pedagogy? Yes, but they have, Google is the new textbook and they have access to it 24 seven. We cannot be as smart. We were never going to be as smart as technology or Google, but we have human experiences. And I think that if more teachers start to kind of lean on the perspective of those first and second, third year, like those earlier on teachers, how much more powerful those veteran teachers would be knowing that they have, like, it's a completely different perspective because you're coming into it with a a different mindset than what Gabe did, what I did, um, what the other, definitely what the other Dr. Chaconi did. Um, You know, it's just completely different. And just having, having teachers that are realizing the importance of relatability and vulnerability, I think is going to, well, it absolutely makes or breaks your classroom management 100%. Like if there is no connection to the students and your ability to relate to them on some level, there's no way that you can be successful <laughs> truly in the classroom unless you have somehow put straight up fear into them. And that's that's not effective either. Um, Jay, thank you for being you. Just. Yes. I, I, don't, I, I don't have. I, I don't have words to, to <laughs> adequately articulate other than thank you for being you. I do have stop. one more question. Yeah, I do have one more question. Okay. Are we going to see you in Baltimore this weekend? Oh, my gosh. I guess I have to. I guess I have I to. Yes, we'd just love to. we just love to talk to you more in person. Pick pick your brains. Pick your brains some more. <laughs> but yeah. and 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 with that said, everybody. I mean, Jay was talking about getting tools into your tool bag, and these conferences are definitely one of the greatest ways to do it. So, you know, with that said, we've got the MMEA in service conference coming up in just a couple of days. First full length one since before the pandemic and it is looking to be a great time with all this networking and all of this learning from each other so just just something from my perspective going to these conferences meant the world to me when I was first starting and going every chance that I got has helped shape who I am today. So I just urge any and everyone get connected with any of these organizations, whether if it's MMEA or if you're, or being a choir person, if it's ACDA and the band and the orchestra ones, they're escaping my mind right now, but join them, get involved, meet people. And that is one of the biggest ways that you grow. We are iron sharpening iron. So again, Jay, if you are going to be there, I'm going to save your number. I'll send you, I'll, I'll, I'll text you with, with my name. Let's definitely talk. Yeah. And I think um, just having that connection, right? Like we never have that time during the day to truly connect with someone because typically we're finding them doing those hallway conversations and like the quick venting or it's like the, oh, right. And it's like, the quick regurgitation of everything. And then it's like, okay, great. Teacher face go. Um, and so while these conferences can be a pain <laughs> to figure out how you're going to get to, or financially figure out the means of, of getting there um, and affording it, it, the, there is an invaluable quality to, let's say you go to sessions and you just 
pick sessions that just weren't relatable to you. Like that happens. Like I've been to conferences where I was like, oh, I got higher expectations. And I can't necessarily blame the presenters, but I just, I had a different expectation. It just didn't meet what I needed in that moment. But what is almost guaranteed to have happened, if you put forth even just like a minuscule of energy, is the connection that you otherwise don't get. Um, you know, you are guaranteed to at least meet one new person. And a lot of times just having that shared experience. Um, I mean, sharing the trauma of being a teacher, that's a thing. <laughs> that's a thing. And there, there's a healing quality to that. Um, so yes, we, we strongly urge you to get out. Um, and again, thank you, Jay. So, so, so much not to worry. You will be back. Um, <laughs> one day I anticipate if you don't have your own podcast, we're just going to hand this over to you and be like, all right, please work your magic. Do your thing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a great time. Okay. Uh, I love to, to share perspectives, like, sharing perspectives within community that is that's my whole deal so thanks for having me thank you and everyone don't forget to take things step by steps and have those skips along the way too take care be well and be you all right